Our uh, second reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, and if you have a Bible, I welcome you to turn, encourage you to turn over there, uh, and we'll go through this together. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse uh, 26, the birth of Jesus foretold, sometimes called the Annunciation. Uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 26. <coughs> in, the sixth month, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Well, let's bow down. Let's pray. Gracious God, we seek your will this morning. We pray that you will guide us into it. Show us your ways, O Lord, and teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us, for you are God, our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. Amen. Well, the sermon series we're in right now is called God is Always Right on Time. God is always right on time. There was a very famous 4th century uh, professor of rhetoric, that is, professor of teaching, professor of philosophy, and he was from northern Africa around the year 400, and he ended up being converted to Christianity and speaking about all kinds of interesting topics when it comes to God and life and living. And one of the things he talks about is time, and he asks, what is time? He said, if if no one asks me about time, I know what it is. If I wish to explain to him who asks me, I do not know. What is time? If you had to give a definition of it, God is always right on time. Last uh, time I was speaking about how we in the world keep time very precisely through a series of uh, laboratories that look at the uh, oscillation of cesium atoms called International Atomic Time. But in the Gospel of Luke, we see time unfolding in ways that should get our attention, should cause us to ask questions, should cause us to look. 
We see in Luke chapter 1, terrestrial time, things happening around uh, the, 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 the people in the story. We see reproductive time. We see religious time in the temple. We see heavenly time. We see God's time. And, and Luke is very interested in setting, as he tells uh, through an eyewitness detailed account, he's very interested in setting the story of the gospel right in the midst of secular time, that there is something that God has done in time and in space. And so the series today is God is Always Right on Time, and we'll look at the title, To Establish His Rule, To Establish His Rule. And we'll look at the emergence of God's rule in this story, the greatness of God's rule, the power of God's rule, and the response to God's rule. Well, we, this story starts, we'll look at the emergence of God's rule. It's a familiar story. We read it probably every Christmas. So let's just try to see if we can uh, look at it as detailed as we can and as freshly as we can. Uh, and as we go through, it's beautiful to sing away in a manger and have the words change because that kind of shakes us up right away from the familiar and has us have a fresh look at some of these uh, messages and themes. Well, it starts in verse 26 with the time reference. We see in the sixth month, it's a, a, it's a reference to reproductive time. God is, is, is interested in, in, in time in so many ways. And Mary and Elizabeth, we find out, are in, will become in different stages of their own pregnancies. And we see the emergence of God's rule in these first few verses, first in humility. The emergence of God's rule comes in humility. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledge to be married to a man, Joseph. Now I want you to picture first the, God's, the emergence of God's rule in humility in these verses. I want you to notice two things. The first I want you to notice is the place, Nazareth and the town of Galilee. In Isaiah, Galilee is talked about as Galilee of the nations. It's um, far away. It's, it's away from the city center, Nazareth, and up in Galilee. It's a small place. Uh, Galilee, Nazareth, that town was known as a small place where northern and foreign traders would come, where Roman soldiers would pass through. It was seen as an impure place, a mixed place with other uh, situations and religions and peoples at that time. It was seen as a despised kind of district, far away and not so good. I was trying to think of, I didn't want to name a, name a town in Canada where you could kind of like, you know, do a parallel between that place and, and Nazareth. It's not a good comparison to make. But um, if you were to walk from here, it would take a long time to, to walk to Nazareth. I don't know, I was thinking maybe 10 or 20 hours. So say you were to drive, I don't know, from here 10 or 20 hours north, just for example. And you come to a small place where, I don't know, uh, the houses and buildings have paint peeling off of the side of the walls. Uh, a lot of the driveways have rusted out cars sitting in them. You go into one of the places and there's, there's a bucket on the floor, leaky roof coming down. It, it, it's that kind of place, Nazareth in Galilee, where we see the emergence of God's 
rule. It's not in a temple in Jerusalem. It's not in the big city, the big place. It's in this humble, tiny, out-of-the-way place where, where, where the place is falling apart, where the building's roofs are all sagging, where the shingles on the roofs are all kind of, you know, uh, dried up and coming off. It's, a, it, it's kind of a small place where it's not seen very highly in the eyes of God's people or in the eyes of the world. It's kind of tiny that way. And we also see, secondly, not only the place, but we see the person here. Uh, Mary is introduced, and she is a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. And just note that in the ancient uh, Near East in Jesus' time, someone like Mary would have would have no rights herself. In fact, the Greeks would often hide away young women in rooms, in houses, in, in, their, in their large estates before they were married and really had no rights or no way to go and were often hidden. And so we see the emergence of God's rule in the first part of this story in a small, despised, faraway place centered on someone who is not seen highly in the eyes of society or in the eyes of the world. And we see this humble setting of the announcement of Jesus' birth, which is meant to reveal to us, I think, in many ways, the, the, the character of God, the, the plan of God, the heart of God which is that the God revealed in the Bible through Jesus and in his rule in Jesus is the God who loves the humble, is the God who loves the contrite heart, the unpretentious, the God who, who loves it when people are willing to be used by him. Uh, we see in Luke, Jesus teaching about this. In Luke 14, what does he say? He says, um, the, the exalted will be humbled, and the humble will be exalted. In Psalm 25, God guides the humble. And so we see the rule of God emerging here in this place. And it teaches us something of the plan and character of God. Secondly, we see in verse 28, the emergence of God's rule coming not only in humility, but coming in grace. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, greetings in, in, in the original language is just the word uh, for grace. It just, it's the word rejoice. It's not, hi, how are you? It's, hey, uh, rejoice, greetings, good to see you, wonderful. And that word is repeated in, in that word, highly favored. Mary is, is called highly favored. It's the same word for charis or for grace. And, and we see here that God is doing something in the world and wants, I think we need to notice this, that, that it is by, God is going to do something in Mary that is by his grace, that she receives something from God by his grace, that she is not in any position to merit what is going to happen. Mary's done nothing amazing to um, come into the plan that God has for her life. We see in the Christmas story a God who is revealed in Scripture who, who, who enters into this world with the purpose of setting people aside for him, of, of calling people to him, of choosing people for himself by his grace. 
we, 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 have, we have no resources for ourselves in our own fallen nature, in our own brokenness, in our own sinfulness, right? We, 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 we have none of that for ourselves. Mary is called highly favored. It, 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 this unmerited goodness, this, this presence of God, this operating power of God's grace for Mary. This is part of the emergence of, of God's rule in, in grace, and what does the angel say to her? The Lord is with you. The Lord be with you. The Lord is with you. Which might sound like one of the most trite, common, cliche kind of things you can say. Don't worry, God's with you. It's, you know, is the angel saying, you know, it'll be okay, don't worry, God's... It's hard for us to get past that phrase, the Lord is with you. It can come across as just kind of shallow in some way. But for an angel to come to Mary, who is nowhere in society, to say she's highly favored, I'm going to work in you and set you aside, Mary, by my grace. And I will be with you, Mary, because I know what's going to come. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be turned away. You're going to be maybe shunned in a way, seen badly in a way. And what's I'm going to tell you next. God says to Mary, I'm with you. My grace is sufficient for you. And I think there's times in our lives when we hit the valleys in our lives, the troubles in our lives, when, when our lives get upside down, turned around, twisted around in ways that we might never expect or plan or imagine. But there's a promise in here for us that, that sometimes when our lives go kind of in a certain direction in a certain way, sometimes all we can hold on to is the promise I'll be with you. Maybe it's in a relationship you're in. Maybe it's a challenge you're in. Maybe it's an exam. Maybe you're doing an exam. Maybe you love exams. It's exam season, students. Maybe you don't like exams at all. Maybe they make you really nervous. Whatever that situation is, I will be with you, says the Lord. Despair, difficulty. There's a beautiful book out there called Jesus, uh, Gentle and Lowly. You might, have, you might have read it. You might have seen it. It's a beautiful book. The author says this. He says, the culmination testimony of the four Gospels is that Jesus Christ comes in the fallenness of the world. And instead, we see it, instead of despising the world, it says, we see his deepest impulse Christ's most natural instinct is to move toward that guilt and brokenness. We see the emergence of God's rule in humility and in grace. Do you need in this time in your life, God is always right on time. Do you need the grace of God to be poured afresh into your heart. I pray it will be. Well, secondly, we see the greatness of God's rule, the emergence of God's rule. We see the greatness of God's rule. Mary was greatly troubled, we see in verse 29, and wondered what kind of greeting this might all be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And he goes on, the angel goes on to explain the greatness of God's rule. 
that angel comes to Mary and uh, says, don't, don't fear. <laughs> it's something angels always say. It's, it, we, this can't get old for us, that word from God through the angel, don't fear. It's, it's, it's a foundational kind of way for living, uh, that, that, that in our lives, our, our, our foundation of our faith is not meant to be in anything on this earth that we see with our own eyes. The foundation of our faith is meant to be in heaven. It's meant to be in God, unshaken by this world, unshaken by the things that happen around us, unshaken by the things we might do. Our faith's foundation is not in this world, it's in heaven. We're pilgrims in this world and citizens of heaven. Our passports say Canada or, you know, France or South Africa or the Philippines on them, whatever your passport may say, but our spiritual passport says heaven. And the angel says to Mary, don't be afraid. Your life is founded not on the things that are happening around you, but your life is founded in heaven, in the promises of God, in a God who loves you and knows you and has a plan for you. Don't be afraid, Mary. And then we see this explanation of the greatness of God's rule. And we see it in a title for Jesus and the title for Jesus we see is, uh, you will give birth, call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High. John the Baptist is called great in the sight of the Lord, but Jesus is just called great with no extra qualifications. He will just be great. He will be the Son of the Most High God. And we see in Psalm 83 this title for God being used. The very end of Psalm 83, we see Psalm 83 in verse 18, let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high God over all the earth. You know, at Christmas, we are taught that Jesus is not only this small baby in a manger, but he is an absolutely colossal figure, that he is the son of the most high, that he has a special relationship to God the Father, that he is given a, a title that nobody else gets in the world, that nobody else gets in the Bible. He is not to be confused, this baby born in the manger, this Jesus. He's not to be confused with some other idea we may get about him, about him being partially an angel or just maybe a nice man. No, 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 no. He is specially set aside. We see the greatness of God's rule in Jesus, who is the son of the most high God, the only God. We see Jesus here taking the nature and name of God. And we see not only his name as son of the most high, but we see a place for him. We see a title for him, the most high. And then we see his authority in the place the angel talks about for Jesus. And the place the angel talks about for Jesus, the son of the most high God, is a throne that he's given a throne, like a king is given a throne. 
which harkens back to 2 Samuel and the, the throne of David. He's given a throne of his, of, of, to reign over Jacob's descendants forever. That Jesus is being presented here and taught here as the greatest ruler that ever existed. The one who has ruled since the world began, the, the greatest one the world has ever seen or will see. We see the universal authority of Jesus. He has a throne, the long-promised eternal throne, and a kingdom that will never end. That once established will be forever. That his presence, his authority, the benefits that Jesus is to give us are unshakable, unchangeable, are eternal. We're under, to understand Jesus in, in categories that are, that, are, that, are, that are enormous. He's king, he's son of God, he's Messiah. You know, it's easy at, at Christmas for the, the absolute wonder of Christmas, the absolute power of Christmas, it's so easy for it just to, just to sort of pass over us. But at Christmas, we have the absolute reign and rule of God Most High descending upon our hearts, descending upon our souls. We have a Savior who will, who will bear our burdens. We have a Savior who will bear our sins. We have a Savior who is the Most High God. And I want to say as we think about Christmas this year that God is always right on time to establish his rule unless Unless the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, you know, punctures through my soul and punctures through my heart, I will not be able to say, oh, this is wonderful. This is life. This is where everything that matters happens. Right here in the rule of God. In Jesus, the one who takes the burden of sinners like me and like you and carries them like a shepherd, like a savior who's able to carry those things, who's able to comfort us with a comfort that this world can't give. The greatness of God's rule in Jesus, all of the stuff in your life is so small compared to the greatness of God in Jesus. All the things that you can't untangle in your own mind right now, all the things that seem untangleable, I can't figure this thing out, they are so simple to God who is great. All the questions you have, all the thoughts you have about the future. God knows all those things in his eternity. They're not troubles for God. I guess what I'm saying is, as I've been working through this, I just... This Christmas, are you, are you ready to have the, the reign of God reestablished in your life?
Is it that time for you? Is it that time for us to have him who is most high, whose kingdom will endure far beyond the sun and the moon, whose kingdom will endure forever? Is it time for his reign to be reestablished in your life? What do you need to ask God about now, today? Well, we see uh, the emergence of God's rule. We see the greatness of God's rule. And then we see, thirdly, the power of God's rule. The power of God's rule. What do we see here in verse 34? All these things are said to Mary. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? She's not, she's not in the same spirit as Zechariah who's saying, I'm not going to believe this, so you need to convince me, God. She's just asking, how can this be, since I'm a virgin? She's thinking about what God has said. She's pondering the things of God. She's asking about, she's in conversation with this angel. And the angel answers her. And she has this kind of thing. How, how is this even possible? Let me just pause here and say that question of Mary is a little window for us to see the time of God and the eternity of God interacting with our time, right? Her question is, how can this be? Her, her, her question is kind of like when human time meets divine time, when human frailty meets eternal perfection, when, when our secular time meets the time of heaven, questions like that get answered, asked, how can this possibly be? And it's so like this, it's a response that we see in Mary is our response always to the divinity of God. How can this possibly be? And we see the time and plan of heaven coming face to face with a human mind, and it's almost unthinkable. How can this possibly happen? How can I, since I am a virgin? And we see the angel explaining to Mary something about the very power of God. The strength of God. He says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called Son of God. And isn't that the, the amazing, unbelievable miracle of Christmas that you have through the woman Mary, through a earthly mother, born without the agency of an earthly father, a son, who's the son of God, who will be conceived without sin, who will be conceived by a spiritual power, who will be conceived without the, the brokenness and inherited uh, original sin that this world suffers under from the sin of Adam and from the garden. <laughs> You'll have him conceived by this spiritual power. God will overshadow you, Mary, the Lord says. God's power will come upon you. Uh, that's a word for the power of God to protect and to guide his people in, 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 the, in the Greek. And we see it in the Old Testament as well. And it's like God is saying to Mary, look, I'm the God who has done all things. I, I've made creation. There was darkness in the beginning. And now I'm going to overshadow you and do something powerful for the whole world. The whole condition of darkness and sin is going to be changed and I'm sending a son by my power without the agency of a human father to be born the perfect one without sin. 
As you see in Hebrews, Jesus is to be born blameless and holy and set apart from sinners. Only by the power of God could this happen. Only by the wonder of God could this happen. It was no ordinary birth. The whole thing just punctures our regular time, punctures our regular space. And God does something extraordinary in his boundless power. The angel says to Mary, look, nothing's impossible with God. No word from God will ever fail. Uh, Jeremiah has that, that same impetus in his life, that same understanding in his life that no plan from God will ever fail. God is totally powerful to accomplish and do all that he wishes to do. In Jeremiah 32, we see this. Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, God has told Jeremiah to buy a field. Jeremiah prays to God, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32, 17. Do you think that there is anything too hard for God? Have you fallen in to the temptation of seeing God through your own eyes, through your own imagination, through our own limits? If you were to search deep down in your heart at this time of the year, are you able to say with Jeremiah, there's nothing too hard for God? Your arm is outstretched. Your arm is all powerful. Well, the apostles um, believed this. Those who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, the one to whom Jesus appeared, the apostles believed this, that nothing was impossible for God, that no word from God would ever fail. And we see this in, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. We hear these words. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him, unto him until that day, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And the beautiful thing about this section of the story is that the angel from heaven um, gives Mary almost like an encouragement in her life. He says, I want you to believe this. I want you to know this. I want you to receive this. But he, he gives her an encouragement. He says, look, you're Elizabeth, you're Elizabeth, your relative, going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. There's another time reference. He says, look, uh, it's happening to Elizabeth. I've done this miracle with Elizabeth, Mary. I want you to be encouraged right there. And know also uh, the power of my rule for your life.
Maybe this morning and maybe leading up to Christmas, you know, your life is, you got your life all together and everything is going really great and you're in a season of strength and, and that's wonderful. Uh, maybe this morning God is calling you, asking you, what does it mean for me to be an encouragement to someone here at this church who is not in that place, who needs a, someone to come alongside them, who needs an encouragement in their life? And remember, these are, Mary's a teenager, Mary's young. God is very interested in that time of life for, for, for Mary and for Elizabeth. Is God calling you to come alongside someone in this church, to pray for them, to get to know them by name, to speak to them, be a presence to them about the power and goodness of God? Well, we see the emergence of God's rule. We see the greatness of God's rule in Jesus. We see the power of God's rule in Jesus. And finally, in verse 38, at the very end of the story, we see the response to God's rule. What does Mary say? Mary says, I'm a servant of the Lord. May your word be fulfilled to me. And then the angel leaves. Well, what are we going to say about this? Well, Mary could have said, uh, but all this whole thing, she could have said something like, hey, uh, thanks but no thanks, angel. Thanks for coming down. Good, good talking to you. Uh, nice to see you. Say hi to everybody in heaven for me. <laughs> I got a plan for my life over. I'm going to go do this thing over here. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I got some stuff to do. She could have just said, angel, go back to heaven. But instead, you see in the middle of this Christmas story, somebody receiving a promise from God, an encounter with God through his word, a spoken word of the angel. At the center of the Christmas story, you see someone responding to God. Responding in their heart and life to the living God. And you see a response, I think, with which the living God is pleased. Mary could have said thanks, but no thanks. But instead, what does she do? We see her pondering the word of God, meditating on the word of God, thinking about the word of God. We see a humility in her to listen. Uh, we see her kind of wondering and pondering, praying and believing. And then what do we see her doing? We see Mary entrusting her life to God. We see her entrusting her journey to God. We see Mary surrendering her will to the Lord. Wow, we see in Mary a lot of what is going to happen in Jesus, don't we? May it be with me according to your word. And we see God showing that he's a lot less interested in social class <laughs> or resumes or spiritual greatness. And we see, I think, great rejoicing in a, in a woman who responds to God with surrender. Well, we're going to stop now, but um, let me just ask you again, what time is it in your life? Uh, what time is it for you right now? 
as you, as you hear God's word preached, as you hear God's word read, is God speaking to you about something in your life? Is it time for you to ask the Lord to establish his rule afresh and anew in love and in grace in something in your life? I know I have many things in my own. What time is it for you? Will you surrender anew to him and trust in the rule of Jesus? Let's bow down. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are perfect, that you do nothing wrong, that you are eternal. And we thank you so very much to hear this morning about your own rule. Forgive us for the times that we've rejected your rule. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we are rejecting your rule today. We want our hearts to be turned back to you. We don't always know how to do that. But Lord, we would turn our eyes to Christ. We would pray for his grace in our lives. And we ask, Lord, that you'd be pleased with everything going on in our lives right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.